Hello, and welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, December 16th, 2018, we're continuing our series titled Knowing Truth, The Letters of John. And in today's sermon, Who is Jesus? Pastor Thomas Slager is going to be teaching from 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. We hope you enjoy. In a world of disagreements, large and small. I don't believe that you exist. Go think whatever you want. Go ahead. How can a good and powerful God allow innocent people suffer unspeakable tragedies? But then there's all these questions, you know, about ethics and moral issues as well. And I would say, well, they're crazy for not testing what they think they believe. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. It's as real as what you see. And, and I begin with the assumption that God is love. And love is love is love is love. I think that the orthodox, historic Christian tradition is this vast, diverse conversation that's been going on for thousands of years. I hope you had a wonderful week. I had a wonderful week. I was able to get out on Friday and play some golf. Um, there, there's a reason I say that, because we were down at a, in Chandler at a course called Whirlwind. I'd never been down there before. And to get there, I had to take the I-10 past the airport. And right as the I-10 bent around the airport, I look up to the left and I saw this sign that said, Jesus in Islam. And then it had a few bullet points under it and a website. Like a, for more information, kind of click here and, and go check it out. Um, I'd never seen that sign before, and I was very intrigued because the last two weeks in studying this passage, um, I've been asking the question, who is Jesus? So to see that right up on a, a, a billboard up there of Jesus in Islam uh, was fascinating to me. And this is what it said. It said, Jesus in Islam, born to Virgin Mary, supported by Holy Spirit, and then something else I couldn't read because I'm trying to be a smart driver and drove right past it. And then there was a website underneath it. So I start looking up in this question of who is Jesus? And I'd been doing this the last couple of weeks and just seeing who Jesus is in different cultures and who people in different religions think that Jesus is or um, even who Christians claim Jesus is. And you think we all settle on that, but there's some pretty wacky theology out there pertaining to who Jesus really is. So I'm asking that question, who is Jesus of our text this morning? Because this morning in John chapter five, verses six, through 12, that's the topic. Who is Jesus? The first thing we're gonna see, John's gonna confront some false testimony. Testimony meaning a declaration or a confession. Um, he's gonna confront some false teaching that was happening in the church. Secondly, he's gonna confirm right and true testimony through three witnesses he provides. And then third and finally, he's gonna offer personal testimony. And we can ask the question of who, not who is Jesus, but who do I believe that Jesus is. So that's where we're heading this morning. I'd invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. Um, I'm going to read it, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll dive in to see what the Lord has for us today. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Would you pray with me? Dear 
God, though it's my voice that's been heard, we recognize this morning it's your word that's been spoken. God, I ask that by your grace you'd allow us to submit to your word this morning, God, that we wouldn't um, trust in the testimonies of the world that we've heard concerning your son Jesus, but God, we'd place our trust in who you say and who your word says Jesus is. God, would you open our minds this morning so we can understand the things in the scriptures? I ask that you'd soften hearts of those who are here in attendance today whose heart has been hardened towards you. God, whether that's through just being jaded by knowing some bad Christians or whether that's just through not fully understanding what's happening in the scriptures, God, I ask that you would help them understand just how great your son is for them this morning. God, thank you for this time. We ask you that it would glorify your name and your name alone, and we pray all these things in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. First John chapter five, verses six through 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible around you somewhere, or you could download a Bible app on your phone real quick and type it all in, and it'll help you find where we're at. That way, let's start in verse six. The first thing we're gonna see, John's gonna confront some false testimony, false testimonies concerning who Jesus was. Again, testimony is a big word for declaration or confession, and and he really confronts a big false testimony, false teaching, or we might call it a heresy, is a big word for that in the church world, concerning who Jesus is. Let's start in verse six. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. It says Jesus Christ. Now maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but that's not like a first name, last name type thing. Like John Smith, that's first name, last name. Thomas Slager, that's first name, last name. Jesus is his name, Christ is a title. It's who he is, it's an identity. Christ means Messiah. It means that he's the one who was promised in the Old Testament who would come deliver people from their sins and into right relationship with God. That's who Jesus is. He's not just this man named Jesus, last name Christ. He's Jesus the Christ. He's Jesus the Messiah. And as we see in the text this morning, the false teaching that John's confronting primarily has to do with Jesus being the Christ. Notice what he says. This is he who came by water and blood, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Now that is kind of obscure and confusing. Up until this point, John's been pretty straightforward, hasn't he? I mean, it's pretty simple. If you believe in Jesus, your life should look like you believe in Jesus. I mean, that's kind of the big theme we've seen in 1 John. The things we say we know should show in our life. And now he drops this on us that this is he who came by water and blood, not by the water only, but also by the water and the blood. What in the world is he talking about? Now, you'd have to do some study and and look at some things, but um, what I found from looking at this and different commentaries and scholars and whatnot, what John is doing here is refuting a specific false teaching by a guy named Serinthus. You can forget that name if you want to. It's not really relevant to the conversation, but what we need to know is that Serinthus was going around and teaching things that were contrary to what the Bible says about Jesus, specifically in regard to Jesus being the Christ. Real quick, let's look at Matthew chapter three, verses 16 and 17. It's talking about the baptism of Jesus. Matthew chapter 13, verses 16 and 17 says this. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove 
and coming to rest on him. And behold, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, why am I looking at this? See, Serinthus taught that the moment the spirit of God came and rested on Jesus, Jesus took on the Christ. Or Jesus became the Christ. That up until that moment, he was just a normal man. See, Serinthus taught that Jesus wasn't born of a virgin Mary. He was just born the traditional way. So you can have that conversation with your kids later. I ain't gonna do it. Uh, He's born the traditional way that kids are born. Now, what we see in the scriptures is not that. We see that Jesus is born to a virgin Mary. We also see that Jesus was the Christ the entire time. Think back to our study in the Gospel of John. In John chapter one, verses one and two, verse 14, let me read this to you real quick. It says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now think back and try to remember, who is the word in John chapter one? First name that comes to mind. Jesus, it's always the right answer in church, that's perfect, Jesus, right? Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. We see that is Jesus. Jesus is the word. In fact, you could go back and read it and say, in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now that sounds very different from the teaching of Serinthus. Serinthus taught that Jesus was just a normal, natural man that God sent the Christ to rest upon and then took him away shortly before the crucifixion. When that happened, we're not really sure, according to Serinthus, just at some point in there. But it's a common false teaching of the time because what we see in Scripture is that Jesus always was the Christ. Jesus will always be the Christ. He always has been, always will be, and it was the whole time. And when you think about false teaching, this false teaching of Serinthus might be a very specific one, but false teachings about Jesus have been around since Jesus. These are nothing new. In fact, if you Google the question, who is Jesus, you're gonna find a lot of different ideas about who people think Jesus is. I did that this week and found all these different video testimony things of these um, man on the street interviews. Maybe you've seen something like this on like the, the late show type of stuff where they're walking around on the street and just asking random people the question. This is the question, who is Jesus? Now some people just blah and they walk away. They don't even wanna engage, don't even wanna talk about it. Other people gladly offer their opinion. Other people stand like their opinion is fact and, and I wanna read to you just kind of a synopsis of all of the different things I learned this week of who people think that Jesus is when they're asked the question, who is Jesus? Some people say he's just a historical figure. Some say he was a wise teacher Others believe he was one who practiced magic and led people astray. Some say he's a devout religious leader, a very inspiring individual, and he certainly is. Some say he's a myth created by man to control society. Others say he's a prophet of God like Muhammad or a man who had been enlightened like Buddha, a moral teacher like Gandhi, someone who did good works like Mother Teresa. Some say he's one of the many, many paths to God. Others say he's a made-up person to help us feel better about ourselves and give us a glimmer of hope. Now, they're certainly all over the place in there. You have everything from just a myth to a good teacher, good example, moral guy, enlightened, kind of like Buddha. What we see in the scriptures when we study 
the words of Jesus, Jesus doesn't give us those options for himself. Jesus doesn't allow us to just think he's a good teacher. Jesus doesn't allow us to just think he was a moral guy. Jesus doesn't allow us to think he just good, did good deeds. He doesn't allow us to just think he was a historical figure who led a group of people. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis. We're gonna have it up on the screen for you. Um, talking about who Jesus was and who Jesus said he is and how we need to respond to that. Here's what he says. A man who was merely a man and said the things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Okay, so if Jesus was just a man and went around saying things like, I'm God, I'm the son of God, unless you drink my blood and eat of my flesh, you have no place in my kingdom, uh, I'm the only way to God. So if, if Jesus was just a merely man, merely a man, and said these things, he couldn't be a great moral teacher because that would make him a total liar. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. What's that saying? Jesus said, I am either everything or I'm nothing. What you cannot make me is just a something. That's the question we have to wrestle with this morning. Who is Jesus to you? To you, is Jesus everything or is he nothing? He can't just be something. He can't just be something we add to our life as if it's this buffet of things and you know, I'll have me some church, I'll have me some kids, I'll have me some nice car, I'll have me some nice vacation, I'll have some conflict in there too, and I'll have me some Jesus because I gotta do that. That's not the way this works. He's everything or he's nothing. He can't just be a something. Now maybe you're here this morning and maybe you kind of buy into one of those things. Maybe you buy into, well he's a historical figure, I'll acknowledge that because um, any major secular historian would acknowledge in the least that Jesus did in fact exist. So you got me there. I believe that he existed. Maybe you believe slightly more than that. Maybe you believe he was a prophet like Muhammad. Maybe you believe he was a good example to be followed who did good deeds like Mother Teresa or he was a good moral teacher like Gandhi or he seemed like an enlightened dude kind of like Buddha. Wherever you're at this morning, I would love to show you what the scriptures say about who Jesus is about how he's not just some man, about how he, how he didn't leave us that option, how Jesus claimed that he was the Christ, how John the apostle said that he was the Christ, and how other witnesses in our text this morning also show that he was the Christ. So first we saw false testimony confronted. The second thing we're gonna see this morning is true testimony confirmed. That's the second thing we're gonna look at is true testimonies concerning Jesus as the Christ. Verse seven says this, for there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. Three that testify, spirit, water, blood, and he says there's three, and these three agree. Now why would he mention three? Because culturally, um, they needed two or three witnesses to validate something. You couldn't just offer one witness 
uh, and then accept something as a fact. You needed someone to corroborate and back up your story. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Let me give you um, a couple of citations real quick. Deuteronomy 19 verse 15 says this, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. Okay, that's why when I walk into a, uh, one of my kids' bedrooms after I've heard a loud crash and a bunch of kids screaming and I walk in and I get the he said, he said thing and they're both got sock marks on their face from getting beat up and I'm like, who did it? Well, guess what this one says? He did it. Guess what this one says? He did it. And the fact of the matter is, because there's no more than one witness in that situation, I'm never going to know who did it. But what he's saying is, when you have backup, when you have confirmation, when you have corroboration to a story, he needs two or three of those things. Matthew chapter 18, verse 16 says this, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Again, we see the same thing. Confirmation of not just one, but two or three. So John's gonna provide three witnesses that testify that Jesus is the Christ. The first one he gives us is the Spirit. John 16, verses eight through 11. And when he comes, this is talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning three things, concerning sin and concerning righteousness and concerning judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe me. In other words, concerning sin, that Jesus is the, only, um, is the only sufficient thing for our sin problem. He's the only one who can clean that up. He's the only one who can take that away. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. But concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning righteousness, because if you want to go to the Father, it's not gonna take your righteousness. It's gonna take the righteousness of Christ to get us there. Concerning Righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. In other words, Jesus wins in the end because he's the king, because he's the Messiah, because he is the Christ. We see the Spirit testify that Jesus is the Christ. That's the first witness. The second witness he provides, he says it's the water. It's the waters of baptism. We see Jesus' baptism again. We looked at it uh, briefly a few minutes ago, let's look at it again. Matthew chapter three, verses 16 and 17, because it's not just the witness of the water in the baptism, there's actually more people involved in this than just the water. And when Jesus was baptized, um, this is passive. So Jesus didn't baptize himself, right? You never been to a self-baptism? Those don't happen. All right, I, don't, I baptize me in the name of the Father, the Son, the Father, right? Like that doesn't work like that. Um, someone baptizes you. So someone's clearly here baptizing Jesus. And who was the one who baptized Jesus? It was John the baptizer. And we like to call him John the Baptist. Technically, he was not a Baptist. So thank Baptists for hijacking that guy's name forever. That's fine. Um, John the baptizer, just so it's more clear, John the baptizer baptized Jesus. Immediately he went up from the water. So this is the witness John is gonna provide, this whole situation of his water baptism. And behold, the heavens were opened up to him and he saw the spirit of God. This is the second witness in this story. We have the baptism, which is John the Baptist doing it. We also have the spirit of God testifying that Jesus is the Christ. Descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold, a voice from heaven. This is the voice of God the Father saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am 
well-pleased. There's three different testimonies in here, three different witnesses. We have John the Baptist, we have the Spirit of God, which we already covered, and also God the Father. All testifying to the same thing, that Jesus is the Christ. Let's talk about John the Baptizer first. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse three, um, 700 years before John the Baptizer was born, 700 years before Jesus was born, you know those guys were cousins, by the way? John the Baptizer and Jesus? There's this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 40, verse three, that John claims for himself. It says this, a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Something greater is coming. Be looking forward. Something in the future is coming for us. Make way, prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then John the baptizer comes on the scene. In John chapter one, verse 23, he says this, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. John says the thing Isaiah said 700 years ago about a prophet is coming who's gonna make, make the way, make way for the Lord, that's, that's me. Jesus in Matthew 11 actually confirms that John the Baptist was the last prophet to show up just before Jesus' birth. John 1, 32 and 34, this is John the baptizer talking about the baptism of Jesus. And John bore witness, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the son of God. He's another witness, Jesus is the Christ. He's not just some guy, he's not just um, the son who was born naturally to Mary and Joseph, he truly was the son of God. That's the second witness he provides. He provided the spirit, then he provided the water. The third witness he provides, he says, is the blood. It's the crucifixion, the sacrifice of Jesus. Again, John the Baptist in John chapter one, verse 29, he says this. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I love this word, behold, because we don't use it a whole lot, right? When my kids want to show me something, if Jude builds some Legos, he doesn't come into my room at 5.30 in the morning and say, Dad, behold. (laughs) No, what he says is he pokes me and he pulls on my shirt and says, Dad, check it out, check it out, check it out. See, behold is like a, Stop what you're doing, drop everything, pay attention, focus. So John's walking with his followers. He's done all this work to gain people to follow him, to make way for the Lord and they're with him and they're walking and he sees Jesus off in the distance and what does he say? Stop what you're doing, drop everything, fix your eyes, focus. Behold, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There is the one who will spill his blood for us. There is the one who will be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins and he will take away the sins of the world. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews, I'd invite you to turn there. Go left real quick. Hebrews chapter 10. If you're trying to find it, go left pretty slow and you'll hit it pretty quick. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. I'm not going to cover all of them. I just want to skim through and talk about this witness of the blood and the sacrifice and how Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins 
of the world. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse one, says this. For since the law, that's the Old Testament, all the commandments, everything, since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, it being the law, the law can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Now there's a lot of commas in that statement. Now we can take some of the things out, remove the deals, and here's what this little verse says. The law can never make perfect those who live it up and abide by it. It wasn't meant for that. You cannot do everything the Old Testament says, says and, and somehow uh, just be, be made righteous. It doesn't work like that. It's not just about doing all of the right things. It's about believing the right things about the Son of God. Verse two, otherwise they would not have ceased to be offered. Would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins? Verse three, but in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every single year. What does that mean? It means when people went to the temple to make the sacrifices for their sins, what they were basically doing is killing something to remind them of how wretched they are. The very next verse says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. People didn't go to temple in the Old Testament and sacrifice things to take away their sins. They went to the temple and sacrificed things to remind themselves that every time they've sinned, there's a consequence for their actions. That every time they sin, something has to die. That every time they sin, something has to pay the consequences for those sins. Think back to the Garden of Eden, the first sin. God says, enjoy yourself, live it up. Says they were naked and unashamed. They had all the rules, everything was fine. And they said, here's the one thing you can't do. Don't eat, don't touch that tree, don't eat it, don't do nothing with it. They broke the rules, they ate from the tree. What happened shortly after that? You know something died immediately? It says they were covered with leaves and animal skins. The first sin Something died all throughout the Old Testament. You sin, you sin, you sin, you sin. Something has to pay the consequence for those sin. There has to be a sacrifice. So that whole law, that entire Old Testament, that entire sacrificial system, John's walking with his followers and says, behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, this is the Messiah. Behold, this is the Christ. This is not just some guy. This is not just some prophet. This is not just some teacher. This is not just some moral example. This is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who will take away the sins of the world. That's the third witness that he gives us in this passage is the witness of the blood. Go back to 1 John chapter 5. Continue in verse nine, it says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. If you're gonna believe what other people say about Jesus in, in, in regard to what the Bible says, that's great, but he says the testimony of God is even greater than that. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son, that his son is in fact the Christ. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. If you don't believe who God says about his son, then you're, you're calling God a liar. Think about it like this. If I were to tell you, um, my son Elijah, for whatever reason, hates cheese. Don't know why. Hates cheese. Unless it's mac and cheese or grilled cheese. So unless it's like the main ingredient, he wants nothing to do with it. Not sure why. If you were to come to me and you said, no, you're wrong about that. He, he'll eat cheese on everything. 
Like, are you calling me a liar? Who do you think knows his son better, me or you? I do. He's my kid. My son Jude, if you were to come to me and say, Thomas, did you know your son Jude's favorite football team is the Steelers? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Two of you. Amen. Preach it. Best sermon ever. <laughs> I would tell you, you're a liar. No one likes the Steelers. <laughs> just kidding. Just, that was a joke. That was a joke. That was good. I'd say, no, actually, I know my son, and my son's favorite football team is the Cardinals. I know that about my kid. If you were to come to me and say, Thomas, did you know your daughter Audrey's favorite color is camouflage? (laughs) I would say, I'm praying that that becomes her favorite color. However, I know for a fact her favorite color is pink. I know my kid. It's the same thing happening with the father here. The father says, Jesus is the Christ. He's my son. He's my kid. I know who he is. He is the Messiah. And if you say, no, he was just a good teacher, then you're calling God out. You're saying God's a liar. You're saying that you know God's kid better than God knows his kid. That's the second thing that we see in this passage. We see true testimony. The third thing that we see is personal testimony. God, John is gonna wrap it up for us nice and tight and simplify everything we've been talking about. We've seen false testimony confronted and then we've seen true testimony confirmed. Now we'll see personal testimony confessed. Verse 11 says this, and this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Now here's how simple he makes it. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. See, now this is where it gets personal and simplified. We're not just asking the question, who is Jesus? We're asking the question, who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that Jesus is? Not who does your neighbor say that Jesus is. Not not what do all the different cultures say that Jesus is. Who do you believe that Jesus is? That's the big question. It's a question that Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew chapter 13. We're gonna put it up on the screen for you. Or Matthew 16, I believe, I'm sorry. He says this, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Okay, who's Jesus? This is Jesus asking the question. What do people say about me? Some say John the Baptist. That'd be a false teaching. Jesus is not John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Now, the dude was awesome, super awesome guy in the Old Testament, prophet called down fire from heaven, like super legit. It'd be cool to be Elijah, but also false teaching. That's not who Jesus is. Others say Jeremiah, another amazing prophet, or one of the prophets. So four different false teaching options. Who do people say that I am? And Jesus responds with this, but who do you say that I am? This is what it comes down to, folks. Who do you say Jesus is? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are who? You're the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You are the one who was promised who would come. You are the Christ. You're not just some man who existed. You're not just some prophet. You're not just some example. You're not some enlightened dude. You're not some figment of my imagination. You're not some magician who led people astray. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Who do you say that Jesus is? You know, all through our study in in 1 John, we've kind of been thinking in the terms of knowing and showing. The things we know should show through our life. If we claim to know Jesus, our actions should show that we know Jesus. Another way of asking this question of who do you say that I am, you could ask the question, who does your life show that Jesus is? Does your life show that he's your Lord and Savior? Does your life show that the grace you've been given, you now give to others? Does your life show the patience God has shown you through your patience towards the people in your life? Does who you claim Jesus to be show up in your marriage? Does who you claim Jesus to be show up in your parenting? Does who you claim Jesus to be show up in your workplace? Does who you claim Jesus to be show up in your home? We could, we could go like this for days. Does he show up? Does who you say you know he is show in your life? Who do you say Jesus is and who do you show him to be, especially this time of year? It's Christmas after all, isn't it? What does your life say about Jesus during this time of the year? Kind of going along with the trend of culture of just celebrating celebration for no reason? Who do you tell your kids Jesus is this time of year? Who do you remind your spouse Jesus is this time of year? Maybe you tell your kids it's all about Jesus, but your actions show the complete opposite. Next week, um, we're gonna try to fill this room five times over. That's the goal. Five services completely packed out and not for our sake, but for the sake of a lost world hearing the name of Jesus, for the sake of a lost world hearing from us who Jesus really is. See, we're not gonna stand up and preach that he was just some prophet. We're not gonna stand up and say that he was just another man. We're not gonna stand up and say that he's another way to God. We're not gonna stand up and say he's a moral teacher, a guy who did good deeds like Mother Teresa. We're not gonna say he's like Gandhi, Buddha, or Muhammad. Who are we gonna say? We're gonna say Jesus is who Jesus said he was. Jesus is who the Father said he was. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there's people in our world who need to hear that. They need it. And we're asking for your help. See, we're all in this together. We are Highlands Church, and Highlands Church is all about Jesus, and we are going to be all about Jesus next weekend, and we want you to join us. Would you invite a friend? Would you invite a family member? Would you invite someone, save them a seat, say, come, come with me. I know you're not into religion. I know you're not into church, but you like Christmas, don't you? You like music, don't you? Do whatever you have to do. Get them here, and I promise you, we will tell them who Jesus is. Can you do that? Let me pray for us, and then we're gonna go back to worship. God, thank you for revealing to us who your son really is. God, thanks for not sending us an example to follow, just an example to follow, because we know we'd fail. Thank you for not just sending us a moral teacher because we know we can't live up to his morals. God, thank you for not just sending a magician with great tricks because we know we would be led astray, but God, you sent the Christ, you sent the Messiah, you sent a way for us to be in right relationship with you and for God for that we worship you this morning and we say thank you we recognize we don't deserve it 
God, would you be with us now as we close in worship? Would we fix our eyes and our focus on you? Would you help us behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Amen.